Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. Don't let unexpected vet bills throw a wrench in your plans. Let the Trupanion policy provide the protection you need against the unexpected. If you're a breeder, the Trupanion policy has a special additional rider that provides coverage for breeding concerns such as emergency C-sections. Even more, Trupanion has a breeder support program that allows you to send your litters home with a special offer of medical insurance for pets. Learn more about all of the perks available to breeders like you by clicking the link on my partner page and be sure to let them know Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm very excited to be joined by friends of mine, Tom and Chris Levy. Some of you guys might remember we did an interview with Tom and Chris a while back on foundation stock service and the various breeds available there and how to go through that process. They have Pumis now, and this is another one of those how-tos. Tom and Chris have just recently created an endowed fund for the Oregon State University Vet School. And I thought this was just such a fascinating idea. And I wanted to share with people kind of what brought them to it and how and why you might want to be interested in it as well. So welcome, guys. Thanks, Laura. Laura. How are you doing? Great. Excellent. So who wants to take the lead? Why? Why did you guys decide to do this? Well, I think part of it was we don't have any biological children and we wanted to do something good. And then we were looking around and it comes to the point, the AR people get involved with the vet schools and try and get the vets before they get out of school. So maybe we as breeders should do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and a little history, Tom and I both graduated from Oregon State University. I got a degree in zoology and he got one in construction management and we met there. And so it really started with COVID, actually. (laughs) Tom and I had not done a will. And that's been something that I had been thinking that we needed to do. And so we talked about, okay, you know, not having children, who do we leave our estate to? And so the first step we made was to go to an attorney. And I will tell you, it's not the easiest process to go through (laughs) to create this. And then we contacted Oregon State, Mm -hmm. and they really have quite a comprehensive giving program, which we really were not aware of. I mean, we know as alumni that we're always getting letters wanting money. Trust (laughs) me, me too. We've joined the (laughs) Alumni Association, et cetera. But there's a whole, what they call OSU foundation that is made up of ways that you can give money. And I think most universities have similar sorts of concepts. I'm sure they do. So, I mean, we can tell you what we learned about Oregon State, and I'm sure that that will apply pretty much to other universities. Absolutely. So with the endowment to the vet school specifically, I mean, Tom mentioned the idea of 
having a voice for breeders in the veterinary school as we're raising up our baby veterinarians. I mean, this is what we all want to see well-educated, wonderful veterinarians who don't think that breeders are a dirty word. That's true. Although, because this is an estate, they're not going to get this money until both Tom and I are gone. Okay. However, however, what we have found is that they are very friendly to us. (laughs) (laughs) Because they know they're going to get some money. The dean of the veterinary college sent us some mugs, that, coffee mugs that they had just ordered. And if it hadn't been for COVID, we would have had lunch with the dean. Right. So they really are interested. And I think they're interested in what you have to say. So I think that while Tom and I are still here, I think we can have some influence. Now, we live about 50 miles from OSU. The Shantimony Kennel Club is local. And Mm -hmm. so they do have some influence with breeders and talking to the veterinarians and they do that themselves. But I do think that what we say now that will have more credibility because in the future, they're going to have an endowed professorship for small animal medicine. And, you know, it comes down to that money where your mouth is thing, right? I mean, people. (laughs) (laughs) Money speaks. It does. It does. So talk to us a little bit about the process. And I mean, obviously we're not divulging anyone's estate, but give us an idea. You know, if I've got five bucks, can I do anything or I need to have a million dollars? They'll take either. (laughs) (laughs) So if you go out to their website, the OSU Foundation, Mm -hmm. they have all the different ways that you can give money. So, I mean, you can give them an old car. You can give them money for scholarships. They're asking for money for grants to students that just ended up not being able to pay for their tuition or whatever. You can establish scholarships. What we're doing is what they call an endowment. And that means that we give them a certain amount of money and they actually use the interest from that money to do whatever it is they want to do. And the minimum for an endowment is $50,000. Okay. So that gives people kind of an idea what they're working with. Yeah. And so the amount of money determines what kind of an endowment you can establish. So the lower end would be for a scholarship for example. So they would put the money in the bank and use the interest to give scholarships to students. Then, you know, it gets a little bit higher and you can have a presidential scholarship. You can have a faculty fellow. Mm -hmm. You can have a professorship or even a chair or a deanship. You could have a building if you really wanted to. (laughs) If you have enough money. Quite a few million dollars, I think. (laughs) Yeah. As much as you want to give, but you know, By the time you consider the estate includes our home, which is paid for, by the way, because we've been here for 33 years. Right. So it's not just I have to write a check. Mm -hmm. It's the value of all of your holdings. Sure. And so it does end up being quite a bit. To me, the important piece is, yes, we use our money to speak to give ourselves a voice. And that's great if people have universities that they want to endow a scholarship or do something for a vet school. But for me, I love the idea of reaching veterinarians with the idea that breeders support them. Right. And maybe they then turn around and support us back. Right. Right. The dogs have been our life 
And what better way to give back than to give the future of what we love? Yep, absolutely. Well, there was quite a bit to do, and it cost us a bit of money with the attorney to set up this trust. Mm -hmm. And we had to set up the Christine and Thomas Levy Trust so that the university doesn't have to pay a bunch of taxes. Right. And go through probate and all that kind of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we are in the process, well, COVID started us doing this will, and we got that done, and we're still waiting. We got vaccinated a couple weeks ago, and our second one, yeah. And so we're going to start going to the bank, and we have to transfer, like, our bank account is in both of our names. It has to be now in the... The trust. Christine and Tom Levy Trust. And the same thing, the cars have to be Mm -hmm. in the trust. And so all of this has to be transferred over to a trust so that they don't have to go through probate once we're both gone. Sure. So it's a process. So you should be prepared for a process. Right. And what other tidbits of advice can you offer to people who might be interested in doing an endowment at one of the vet schools around the country? Well, the first thing that we did was contact OSU. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were more than happy to talk to us. <laughs> sure they were. Basically guided us through the process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we told them what we thought our estate would be worth. Of course, there's absolutely no guarantees. Right, right. But, you know, in current environment, this is probably what it's worth. And they mm-hmm. said, oh, well, these are the options that are open to you. So they guided us through that process. Mm-hmm. It, it was really very easy. I think the will was the most difficult thing of getting the trust set up. And a pet trust, just as another FYI, yes, we have, I think it's $5,000 set aside. And again, we have to create another bank account mm-hmm. for somebody to take care of the dogs if something should happen to us. Well, I think that's something everyone should do. So yes, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's really a requirement. Right. And we've got all of it in a just a folder. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we did is... All of our dogs' registrations have both of our signatures on them. So if there's any problems with transferring ownership, they're already pre-signed. Oh, that's smart, too. I've thought about that for sure. Yeah, and that's been our practice for the last few years. The minute we get a registration, we just pre-sign it. Right. You know, it's getting older. You think about that. I know. We have a motorhome. And what if we were in a horrible accident or something? It's something that people... We've talked about it a number of times on the podcast. We have had multiple attorneys on to talk about this, but I think it's great hearing from actual people doing this process because that is so important and making sure that our dogs are cared for and they're not going to wind up in an animal shelter and all of those things. Right, right, exactly. Well, and you know, people take really good care of their dogs in life. Mm-hmm. but they don't always want to think about what happens when they're gone. Right. Tom, you had something too. What I was going to say is what you need to do first off is find an attorney that specializes in wills and trusts. Yes. And preferably knows dogs. Yes. Fortunately, I had a friend who does that. And the beauty is that at least with Oregon State Foundation, they work with the attorney through the whole process. So he has some guidance on what he needs to do for their purposes to make it work. Mm -hmm. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Are you ready to take your breeding program to the next level and decode your dogs? 
Embark is celebrating DNA Month with reduced tiered pricing during their annual sale. Stock up and save all month long with exclusive offers to celebrate. Embark's industry-leading full-panel dog DNA test identifies health risks, physical traits, and genetic diversity for breeding programs. Embark helps breeders select ideal breeding pairs to support healthy pedigrees and the lifelong care of dogs. Did you know you can plan for coat color, type, and other traits in your puppies? That's where Embark comes in. Don't miss our annual DNA Month sales event. To get up to speed before you breed, visit EmbarkVet.com and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off of each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Curiosity, were you able to provide any stipulations like here's my money, but you have to do this other thing? Or is that just sort of a pipe dream? Yeah, I think that's a pipe dream. (laughs) (laughs) But what we found, as I said, they will listen to us now. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can have some impact now before we're gone. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, it still has to be for, it's a professorship for small animal health. We have designated that much. It's not Mm going to go to horses and cattle. (laughs) So we have a little input on what it's used for, but not total. Yeah. And I'm sure if you're using a lesser amount and setting up a scholarship, you could set it up for someone in small animal. Right. Or even repro. Yeah, paragenics. Endow a therianologist, you know? I mean, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? It would. Yeah, absolutely. But Tom and I didn't have any real preferences Mm -hmm. because OSU is doing a lot of cancer research too, and they're working Mm. with Oregon State Health Sciences on cancer. So I don't really want to restrict it. I'd like them to use it for what it's best for, other than it's just for small animals. animals. Right, right. And hopefully not too many gerbils. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, gerbils need love too. Come on, man. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so as you are going through this process and working with the attorney and working with the university, developing that relationship with the veterinary school at the university of your choice. Any thoughts about how do we talk to our vet schools? How do we talk to our baby veterinarians? I mean, raising up your own personal veterinarian has always been sort of a, sort of an idea, right? So what advice do we have on that? Well, I think that's a hard one because especially with OSU, And because of Chintimity Kennel Club and Lynn County Kennel Club being closed, we already know some of the instructors there on a personal basis. So we can talk to them. But I also think that they have to understand what a responsible breeder is. Right. That's the biggest thing. You know, we don't need to be lumped into all the ones that are in there just to make money. And I think that we can use our presence there. And I'm hoping we can establish a relationship Mm -hmm. there now and have some influence while we're still around to say that. And as I said, they listen to us because they know they're going to get some money. (laughs) Well, the important part of the conversation is that breeders are not a dirty word and helping the students, the people who are currently going through vet school, understand that breeders are here to support them. They're here to support dogs in general. 
you know, all of that kind of thing, I think is always invaluable. Right. Well, and, you know, veterinarians need to appreciate that we take care of our dogs. (laughs) We know our dogs and they need to have some appreciation for our knowledge. And we did say that to them. And I think normally we'd have lunch with the dean in Mm -hmm. non-COVID times, but we did have a conversation with her Mm -hmm. and we will eventually have lunch. Someday. It'll be okay. Yeah. (laughs) But we did talk to her at the time Mm -hmm. about what a responsible breeder was. Right. And the things that we do for our dogs. Unfortunately, they don't make as much money off. Well, they probably do. I was going to say our dogs don't get sick as much as maybe a puppy mill dog does. But by the time we pay for all the health testing and everything yes. else that we do, we probably do. Therianology, definitely. The repro people make money on us. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. But I think the big thing is that by donating like this, they will start listening to the breeders because the AR people go in and talk to them, mm-hmm. but they don't give them the money right. they need to continue their education system. Right. That's because AR is busy keeping the money for themselves. So I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I am always looking at working on thinking about ways to change the conversation and changing the conversation and turning it back to a concept in which breeders are the good guys is something that always interests me. And I always want to share with my listeners different ways, different methods, different opportunities that we can take advantage of. Absolutely. And we hope we can. Yeah. And, you know, you made a really good point and I wanted to go back to it and sort of call it out for everybody. You know, the people at the vet school because you live near it, your kennel clubs are near it and making the effort to know the people, know the professors. Establish a relationship. Yes. And I think whether it's legislation or a veterinary school or whatever it is, we are so often so busy and so wrapped up that we miss that really great opportunity to make a difference, even if we don't have the money to endow a gerbil. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't. I'm saying you don't even get an endowed gerbil for me. But <laughs> but I think that that's a really important point to make and to share with people that along with getting your estate in place and along with making friends with your local state representative, you know, make friends. If there's a vet school near you, any kind of a teaching hospital, build that relationship. Absolutely. And Laura... I'm going to just give you a little bit of a bad time here. You say you couldn't endow a gerbil. But on the other hand, we're thinking about after we're gone, you own real estate. Yes. That real estate has a fair value. Yes, it does. And these universities, they have their own network of people who have graduated. Mm -hmm. And like talking to the guy the OSU Foundation, They have real estate agents that will come in and take care of the property for little or no commission. They have investment managers. So the money doesn't go into the bank. It's in managed investments that they pay little or no commission on so that they get maximum revenue out of it. Those are really, really good points that absolutely had not crossed my mind, Tom. So good job. That is really valid. Absolutely. Okay. Well, now I'm going to have to think about my trust fund. (laughs) 
Well, we also have put in there that the dog clubs that we belong to get to come through first. Yes. And take all my schnauzer statues, my Pumi statues, the Pumi artwork, you know, nobody else really cares about. Some of the old things from the short hairs or Shebas that we have. Right. And all the dog records. Right. Dog records. That was, I will tell you, the most difficult when we're talking about estate planning and all the stuff when my mom passed away. It was so painful because she was a hoarder for real. And oh, and dear. she had, no, for real, <laughs> she had 30 or 40 years, 35 years worth of records. And I was away at a dog show and her husband went through and threw it all away. Oh, no. And oh, I gosh. was able to salvage hardly anything. And it was just like that broke my heart. So I think it's really important that we help our non-dog relatives understand that there is value to this beat up old black filing cabinet over here Yeah, to somebody. So I do think that that's really important. Yeah. Well, and that bookcase that's right behind me is just totally full of dog books. That's what this is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Everybody yeah. gives me such a hard time about my Zoom background. I'm like, that's just my bookshelf, man. <laughs> What's on it? I tell you, you talk about records and papers and that. A funny one that happened just last week to us. I was out cleaning up from the ice storm. Right. And I find this piece of paper out in oh the yard. Oh, my gosh. This was the wildest story. And it's a German short hair registration from, what was it, 1959? Yeah. The dog was born October 2nd, 1959. And how did it wind up in your yard? Did you guys ever figure this out? Oh, nope. it blew in. I don't know if maybe one of the neighbors was burning trash or with the oh winds gosh. we had, it may have come down from the fires in the hills, but oh the gosh. edges of it are burned. So, Oh my gosh. That is just, I saw your social media post about that. And I was like, that is crazy. What's interesting is the dam is a field champion and the sire is a champion. So this is a good breeding, you know. It's a well-bred dog. I recognized one of the kennel names of the two. Yeah, the couple of short hair people were looking at it. and It wasn't any of the big names in short hairs, but. No, but it was recognizable. Why would it end up at your yard? The yard of a person that used to have short hairs. Right. That was the weirdest part. There's your Twilight Zone for today's episode. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for sharing about your process and your project. And congratulations on your new endowed fund at Oregon State University Veterinary College. Happy to do it. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, crew. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. One of my favorite events over the last year or so has been the virtual After Dark for patrons of the podcast. Anybody can join this amazing community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking the Become a Patron link on the homepage. While you're there zooming around on the site, you can check out our shopping tab too. There's even a Pure Dog Talk swag link. Who knew? 
Share the love with all our cool gear. Check it all out at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 